Fundraising is a full-time job, and I think any new startup founder, when they start that path into fundraising, they realize that, wow, I've just taken on literally a second job (laughs) on top of running a company. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. On today's show, our guest is Tanis George, the co-founder of Canadian unicorn company Trulio. But joining me before that is Amber. How are you? Yes, I'm all good. How are you, Dave? Yeah, not too bad. Quick question. Meta, they are launching AI chatbots played by Snoop Dogg and Kendall Jenner. Uh, Personally, I don't know that I want an AI chatbot with Snoop Dogg or Kendall Jenner. Who, Who would be your AI chatbot heaven and hell? Oh, this is a great question. Um, Heaven would either be Usain Bolt. Usain Bolt, okay, right. Usain Bolt. um, I feel like they would just pump me up every single day. Um, Or uh, one of the guys at Top Boy, because again, I think that just, you know... Yeah, you've lost me like, there. I've not oh, seen Top Boy. No, so. I, I just feel like I'll be like ready to go for the day. I'm like, yeah, bring it on. So it kind of um, depends on what, what kind of AI chatbot help it's giving you. Maybe if it's like financial help it it might give you slightly kind of exuberant and misleading advice uh yeah no do you know what i didn't think of that actually i was just thinking about the way they speak and how they come across but actually yeah, they're trying to give me some advice um don't know if those guys would be the best actually oh, usain but... bolt yeah oh yeah no do you know what I, I think um no i'm gonna stick with usain bolt for sure um yeah. on the hell, hell side of things um oh, i mean i think it'd have to be yeah one of the, the kardashians Oh, really? Um, yeah, one of the Kardashians. So, so Kendall Jenner's really not very good. Oh, no, no, no. That would just be, that voice would just go straight through me. Um, or just someone really dull with a really boring voice. Uh, I can't think of anyone who comes to mind, but yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about their voice. I mean, it's not like they will be speaking to me, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, that will, yeah, Kendall Jenner or one of the Kardashians um, would I, I, fall into that category. I'm I'm quite disorganised, so I think sometimes I need a bit of a kick up the arse. So I think I think an AI chatbot in the style of Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it, Peter Capaldi, basically oh, swearing at me and telling me to get myself in in order. That would be quite good. And hell, I don't know, someone like Gordon Ramsay. No, see, I think he'd be a good one. I mean, Again, I, I, I think he would like, you he know, would shout at you and get, but no, I just yeah, find he'd whip you into shape, though, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's what you want from an AI chatbot, but um, yeah, no, I think he'd probably fall into my heaven category rather than hell. You lost me on the other one, I'm afraid, Dave. He's probably quite. People are probably sitting here going, "Wow, Malcolm Tucker and Gordon Ramsay aren't a million miles apart in their attitude," mm. but one one is one is a comedic Scott, and the other is. Actually, he's also a Scot, but he's not as comedy. Um, so yeah, I, d- I don't know. I d- it's it's very personal. I think imagine it's very brave for Meta to to kind of plump for these two characters or not mm. characters, people. Um, uh, no, I wouldn't want either of them. No, neither would I. I mean, Snoop Dogg just sells you Just Eat adverts. That's I was just does. about to say that's the only thing. Like when I think of Snoop Dogg, <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to mind. So I feel like he'll just be typing out the whole uh, song, like the Just Eat song, which I can't imagine how his, helpful that would be. His entire career, and it's wiped out by one terrible yeah. advert. Oh. oh man. 
Terrible. Anyway, right. Uh, if anyone has any suggestions, please do get in touch. Uh, we'll switch to our uh, interview, which is far more serious and interesting, and we'll be back afterwards. Today, I'm joined by, by Tanis, co-founder of Trulio, someone I was lucky to interview on stage at Collision. How are you? I'm fantastic, David. Thank you. I'm really well. Collision was, I think it was about two months ago now. Yeah. How, how has the summer been treating you? You know, it's very busy. Uh, we we hoped to spend more time in our beautiful city of Vancouver, which shows so, I mean, you live you live the eight months of rain and gray in Vancouver, so you can enjoy the four months of sun. And unfortunately, we did a lot of traveling this summer, so we didn't quite get to, but it's okay. Uh, you know, we still did get to enjoy it, so it's good. Hey, look, it's stunning scenery over that way, right? I mean, it could be worse. You, you could be in Manchester, where my wife is from, <laughs> where, where, you know, they have eight months of rain and gray, but it's, it's not British Columbia. That's true. That's true. We're very spoiled here. That's a good point. <laughs> Look, um, let's let's kind of uh, set the scene. We'll come back to Trulio, but when when we shared the stage in um, uh, Collision, I was asking you about your role as an author, about the the mm. co-founder's handbook. Do you yeah. just want to talk a little bit before we get into anything else about about that? Because I think it's a it's a really interesting place to start. Yeah, exactly. So you know, having had a, a almost a two decade career uh, in tech and in business. Uh, when I knew that I was stepping out of my role at Trulio, I thought, well, what, what, where do I want to go next? And having had the opportunity to advise and speak to a lot of business partners who approached me and said, how have you built multiple companies with the same co-founder? Um, and you guys are still friends. And which was the case. My co-founder, we were friends in high school. Uh, we built our first business, started our first business right out of high school. And, and for 20 years, we built multiple companies together. And um, in my research and in my contemplation about why did we succeed together when so many partnerships fail, uh, I, I had some musings and, and some thought processes on that. And I realized there weren't a lot of resources for co-founders. And having interviewed so many founders whose businesses were tragically ended because of a situation between the relationship between the, the founders of the company, I realized that I really this might be my give back. This might be the time uh, to really shine a light on what I think is a key component and key factor to the success of, of building a business. And so I wrote the co-founder's handbook. And you have this kind of, not guiding principle, but a, a, a very strong conviction that enough people do not place enough emphasis on safeguarding that relationship. They get, they get caught up in the business and they forget about that relationship. Yeah, you know, it really parallels like a normal, like a typical romantic relationship. You start off in the beginning, almost in the honeymoon phase. And you, you know, you have this expectation of where your business is going to go. Nobody starts a business thinking they're going to fail. So you're, you're up and going, you're, you're filled, of, filled with hope. You have this person beside you or these people beside you who are in it for the long run. And the last thing you want to do is say, hey, guys, you know, maybe we should sit down and discuss what to do if, you know, one of you just is a lazy bum and doesn't do anything. Or what do we do if one of you gets a divorce and we have to deal with equity in that way? Or how do we ha hash out some of these difficult conversations we're going to have in business? And let's talk about it now. That's a very like wet blanket experience and few people want to do it. So they don't go deep in the early stages. And then it becomes a point where it becomes awkward almost to bring it up uh, midway. It's like, why do you want to talk about our 
partnership agreement now, you know, seven months into it, you know? So I, I really try and push and, and explain to people what, what the, what the potential damage can happen so that they just put the safeguards in place and, and talk out the important conversations that they need to have. What are the main aspects of the relationship that people are perhaps culpable of overlooking in the majority of occasions? Yeah, you know, really, when, it, when you distill it all down, it actually becomes expectations not communicated. That's the main thing. And there's so many varieties of businesses and there's so many different partnerships. So some for some, it's like, you know, the discussion about when are we going to start to draw a salary? You know, at what point do we do that? At what point do we, um, you know, is one of us going to be working full time? Expectation. I thought you were going to do this task in the, in the company or I expected you to be um, able to hit this milestone, but they never talked about it and sat down. And that's why that that conversation and and that key initial meetup that they should spend days, weeks really drilling into how are they going to navigate this partnership is so essential because each partnership is so unique and there's going to be, you know, tough conversations that these partnerships need to have. And if they don't have it, they're going to have to have it in the middle of the, of the trauma. And that's, that's when problems occur. Do you think friendships inherently lend themselves to business relationships? Because friendships often do have very good communication, but it's communication on a, on a particular level. You see many co-founding relationships that are based on friendships, but it is a very different relationship. Absolutely. Well, it, it becomes a different relationship. You know, there's one thing when you're having a friend and you're having them out for dinner and you're, you're partying and you're having this great experience. You bring your families together for a picnic. It's a very different relationship when you actually have to call somebody out on maybe a, a path they're going that in the business that you don't agree with and you want to discuss it. All of a sudden, uh, sometimes business requires you to put on a different hat that doesn't necessarily lend itself to a great friendship. You know, friendships are often about how do we serve each other? And I often say what I've learned after all the interviews that I've done and everything I've learned, I've come to realize that the, the best way to position yourself is to make the business the central key figure and the, and the co-founders become like um, on the peripheral where their only job is to be polite. What they need to say is run everything through a filter saying, is this the best thing for the business? And in a friendship, there isn't that extra component. So it can ch change and shift how they look at one another and the kind of accountability that they have to hold each other to. Now, look, um, over the last few weeks, I've been making a film um, all about the dire lack of financial backings, particularly in the VC community of female founders. Um, I, I don't know what the stats are like in the States, but in the UK, we're looking at 15% of technology founders are, are female. Only 2% or two pence in every pound goes to all female founding teams. That jumps to 16.5% when you involve a male co-founder, mm. um, but it's still a long way behind the 88, 89% that goes to all all male, all white teams. Right. Um, to all female founding 
teams and I imagine that you have probably spoken to some what allows that dynamic to flourish when it's put under the extreme pressures of trying to fundraise when they're when they're fighting uphill against those odds as well yeah, you know, so I've, I've, I have had the opportunity to talk to a lot of founders, uh, female founders in businesses and, and um, speak on that particular topic. What I find interesting and, and, and what I've, I've come to realize is that sometimes there is a, a fear that, that has, for good or for bad, in this acknowledgement of females having less access to capital, uh, a, a, a stage gets set and you have young female founders who come into this and all they hear is the expectation of challenge. And you're not going to, you're not going to get funding. You're not going to get funding because you're a woman. You're not going to get funding because you're, Oh, you're ready. Get ready. You're not going to, no doors are going to open for you. And what I've, what I've started to do is really talk to women about the power of their business model. I've learned one thing about investors and VCs. They're greedy. <laughs> they, they're money motivated. And I, I, I firmly believe that a, an excellent business model uh, can flourish in, um, in a boardroom with VCs and can, can attract capital. And so one of the things that I, I, I do understand the statistic and it is factual and it is real, but I do also want to add a component to that, which is saying, but still go out there and fight for it. And despite the odds, because many young women come up to me and say, um, I think I need to go to women only investment firms. And they totally skip out on the on the, the the majority of VCs because in their minds they need to go directly to a female focused investment firm, and I think that's also not the route to go because you limit uh, you limit your pool. And so I think there is a little danger in the narrative, and I just want to put a bit of light on that uh, when I talk because there is plenty of discussions going on about what women founders can do to raise capital, but. I think this is a component that sometimes is overlooked. If we take a, a step back then and broaden it back out from from gender for a moment, obviously yeah. you and your and your co-founder have been very successful in raising funds. I, I think you've gone through Series D. With uh, yeah, yeah, yes. So very successful on that front. How do you decide in your team who takes on what role and responsibility? Because yeah money is the lifeblood of any of any business that that could be quite a a tense moment in that relationship right absolutely so i mean fundraising is a full-time job and i think any new startup founder when they start that path into fundraising they realize that wow i've just taken on literally a second job (laughs) on top of running a company and it becomes all-encompassing. And the, the thing about raising capital as well is it's the kind of activity that requires you multiple times to drop what you're doing and attend it. Uh, you can't just tell an investor, oh, you know what, I'm busy for the next two weeks. I'm going to just focus on getting this done and then I'll come and meet you. It's like when someone says, I want to meet you, you drop everything and go. And so, you know, for us, in, in our case, so Stephen and I, um, the position of fundraising te- 
sort of fell into his hands, uh, especially for Trulio, because he went to Silicon Valley. I ran uh, the uh, office here in Vancouver, and Stephen actually was able to. I had two kids uh, under three, and he was the one who was able to actually go to Silicon Valley, uh, plant himself there, uh, attend, be in an accelerator and incubator, uh, and and sit down and start pitching. We pitched over 150 investors over the course of a year and a half, and uh, so that was his core. And then whenever we got a second call back, I would fly down to San Francisco and sit in on the second meeting. So, in our instance, it was really the nature of who could attend it, and I think that that goes back to that conversation that you have with your co-founder and discuss. These are those moments where you go, who's the best suited to do this? Uh, who's better at being front facing? Who's, who's a better talk, a speaker talker, who's better at communicating the vision of the company. And um, yeah, it, it'll be, it'll dif- be different for everybody. Look, you, um, you mentioned at the very start, you're an entrepreneur with over 20 years experience. Uh, you're now an author. You've co-founded a unicorn business, but there's still plenty of of time ahead yes. for for new ideas and new new adventures. Mm-hmm. What questions do you have when you look at the industry? What kind of do you sit back and go, "What's going on here?" and ask the questions of peers that you want to know. You know, I'm I'm often very curious um, with how people in this day and age are navigating the cost of living and starting a business. And so that's one of the questions that I'm, I, I'm, I'm very curious about when I talk to startups. How are you um, able to, 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 both, to do both? Because I know uh, oftentimes we don't have the luxury of building up a savings uh, when we go out there. And so being able to find these different paths that people do in order to to be able to be both an entrepreneur and live in an expensive city at an expensive time uh, has been really interesting to me. So I'm hoping uh, that that is one way that you know we can teach people how to actually practically go out and be a business founder. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Um, if someone wants to get their hands on the book, what's what's the best way to do it? Yeah, there's all different formats. So if someone is looking for a Kindle, uh, ebook, hard copy, paperback, audiobook, it's all available on basically any major book platform, Amazon, Apple. Uh, is there a website? Yes, and you can go to the cofoundershub.com. Uh, we have two masterclasses that are about to launch in the next month or two um, that uh, will help people walk through these stages of their partnership and help them have those really tough conversations so they can stay tuned, sign up for that. I will make sure that there is a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you, David. Thank you. Right. Tannis has a book out, as we've referenced in the interview, all about managing the relationship with your co-founder. Um, Obviously, neither of us are founders, but relationships with people at work, they, they, can, they can be pretty important things. You know, if, if you fall out with a colleague or if you, you know, we, we all think about the working environment. Earlier this week, we had Tally on the show uh, talking about how important it was to get the working environment right. Amber wanted 40 bananas. Um, <laughs> but actually, that piece around getting on 
getting along and working well with the people that you spend all of that time with. I do mm. think sometimes we, we can be guilty of neglecting it. Yeah, I think or so. Or taking it for granted, rather, sorry. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. I think it's... Um, I mean, we're very fortunate here, if we just take our workplace, for example, like a lot of people genuinely get on and they like one another and not only spend time with each other in work, but, you know, sometimes outside of work as well. Mm. And I think if there's any sort of conflict or tension, it just not only does it make it uncomfortable for you, but also that has a knock-on effect to everybody else that's sort of sat around you. Um, I, th I think it just makes it a bit of a, I don't know, uneasy sort of atmosphere as well, doesn't it, really? Um, like people you can, can imagine sort of sense it. You can imagine that's amplified to being the co-founders of a business and everyone is working for them. Mm. That could be awful. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I, I think with things like that, it just has a bit of a knock-on effect. Like when you're starting out and you're, you know, in kind of foundation stage, it's like you want to set a good culture. You want people to come and join your business because, you know, not only it's a great product that you're sort of, you're kind of putting out to the market or a great concept, but also it's a good place to work. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people put all these, you know, flashy kind of posts over LinkedIn and that's great. But actually the reality is kind of when you walk through on day one and what actually is there in front of you, how people interact with one another. Like I said, if it's a really I suppose, kind of toxic environment, and that comes from sort of the top down, then um, there's no kind of hiding from that, really. I guess, yeah, if that's the culture and that's the way the company's been sort of set up from sort of C-suite from, you know, from, I suppose, like you said, higher up, and then it sort of radiates sort of down. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, like you say, just will not make it a pleasant place to work. Yeah, absolutely. Look, over the last two weeks, we've had a number, I think we've had five female founders co-founders on the show and that's because on thursday the 5th so next week we are launching our documentary or docufilm into the lack of funding available for female founders um, funds raised by women only teams has dropped from three percent to one percent over the last four years wow that's despite they're actually being more female VCs. Um, and despite, obviously, all the rhetoric around we need to improve gender equality and diversity within the sector. Um, you've, you've signed up to, to watch the stream on LinkedIn, haven't you? I think so. <laughs> oh, God, <I> if you <laughs> haven't, we're in trouble. <laughs> I think so. If I haven't, then um, I will, will be straight after this um <laughs> I'm, no, I'm sure i have I'm, I'm pretty sure i have you shared the the, the qr code to sign up to it yesterday as well so i yeah, did, did scan you, did that you, scan so it? you did I, I did scan it i, I don't oh, know if okay. i actually signed up which is the really bad part i kind of did half of it but not <laughs> the more important part um i think oh, i did dave Lord. you know what let's start that bit again yes dave i did sign up i'm 100 percent right. signed up to watch good well you will be go. by the time this actually gets yes. published <laughs> I better um, yeah. be. <laughs> Look, uh, there is a link in the show notes, joking aside, uh, to the event. You can sign up. It's free. It's on LinkedIn. It's streamed. We want as many people to watch it as possible. Um, look, I, I'm quite nervous. We've made this film. Um, I am obviously an ally. This is not a lived experience for me. Um, and there's only so many things. Half an hour sounds like quite a long time for a documentary, right? You realise that there's not actually that much time to cover a lot and that there's a huge amount that you just haven't Dis discussed in that runtime <laughs> next week so it goes out it's streaming as we've said on the 5th we're having a private showing here in London for a few clients on the 3rd um, and then there's going to be a panel which is not in my control 
uh, reviewing and watching it and talking about it. And I'm fully prepared for them to go, David, why didn't you talk about X? But Ooh, if it David, gets people talking, it's done its thing. Exactly, exactly that. Um, I hope you've handpicked that panel, Dave, so no, it could be no, nice I, to you. I, I, Have I, you no, not? No. Oh, okay, well, you could get all types of feedback here. But but like you said, it's, um, I guess people watching and you know critiquing it or you know giving their feedback it's it's good it kind of that in itself helps to sort of spread the message and and if they do have things that they will oh you should have spoke about this then that's a perfect excuse to to make a follow-up a second documentary there is that there there we go right uh well look amber thank you for taking the time to chat to me this morning Um, no worries tanis thank you for being our guest and uh hopefully hopefully uh you find the Usain Bolt in your life to give you plenty of inspiration. (laughs) Thank you, Dave. What a cheery note for a Thursday. (laughs) 